Welcome to the Dag Heward Mills podcast. Dag Heward Mills is a healing evangelist, a best-selling author, and a mega church pastor. He's the founder of the United Denominations, originating from the Lighthouse Group of Churches, overseeing over 3,000 churches across every continent of the world. He pastors the First Love Church, a vibrant church in the city of Accra, transforming the lives of thousands of young people for the Lord. Now listen to Dag Heward Mills. Father, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for your great blessing, Lord, as we come before your holy word. Father, what a privilege it is to be in your presence, to receive your word once again, Lord, to grow in your presence and to feast at your table. Lord, we thank you as we approach your mercy seat. Lord, have mercy on us. Show us mercy. Thank you for the blood under which we stand and operate today. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to the book of Acts, and we'll read it. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 1. And... um, I am uh, going to share with you a little message entitled, What Jesus Began to Do. Amen. Now, Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 1 and uh, maybe verse 2. Shall we stand please and read together? The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments whom he had chosen to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. Remember the the film, The Passion? That's where the word comes from, right? The Passion. After his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the world. Verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What Jesus began to do. I'm preaching about Jesus. Now, there are two things concerning Jesus Christ that every Christian needs to study, understand, learn, receive. Amen. And these two things are, number one, to study what Jesus taught. Amen which is what we commonly study, what Jesus taught. He taught the parables. He taught the things he said on prayer, things he said about heaven, and all the stories he told about the certain man did this, the certain man did that, the prodigal son, and um, the promises of heaven, the promises of prayer, and the prayer he prayed in John 17, and so on and so forth. The things that Jesus taught, all right, those things are in red in your Bible. But there is another section 
of things we need to also focus on, apart from what Jesus taught. That is, what Jesus did. Amen. So, we are looking at what Jesus did, or what he began to do. So, you can see that in writing this uh, little book of Acts, the writer explains that he has already made a treatise or a letter, amen, explaining or revealing the things that Jesus began to do and the things he taught. Amen. They are different things. Now, it is important when you are with a great person to look at what the person does as well as what the person says. Amen. Because you can get as much from what he does as you can from what he teaches. In fact, sometimes the greatest things you can receive from some great man of God or Jesus, if you like, would be things he doesn't teach. Amen. And you will find, as we look at some of the things, because we will start and we'll probably end in the middle somewhere. So we'll just look at some things that Jesus did. You'll find out that he didn't teach. Amen. Are you listening to me? Sometimes he would do something and teach it as well. So he would do what he teaches. You get it? Like he may say, uh, take up your cross. And he would take up his cross himself. So he would do it. And then he would also teach it. But there are things that you would struggle to find him teaching them. Can I have an amen? amen? For instance, one of the things that Jesus did, which he didn't teach, you know, would be uh, the fact that um, in his ministry, he kept moving. You know, through the four phases of his ministry. I believe that everybody's life and ministry has four phases or about four phases. And if you look at the ministry and the life of Jesus, you will see that his ministry had the first phase in one place, then the second and the third and then the fourth. But he never taught and told his pastors or apostles, Make sure you accomplish all the four phases of your ministry. When Jesus appeared to Kenneth Hagin, he, he told him that every minister has four phases to his ministry and that he, he Kenneth Hagin, had not entered the first phase of his ministry yet, even though he had been a pastor for 12 years. <laughs> so, um, what I'm trying to say is that there are many things that sometimes great people do not say but they do. For instance, last year in October, I had the privilege of being in, in um, Korea with Yonggi Cho. And uh, I learned a great secret of church growth from him. Uh, but that secret is, is a great secret which he has never taught as far as I know. In fact, the things he teaches you know, are there. You can get them, some from his books and some from his tapes. Some he writes, sometimes they write, sometimes they write them and they don't say them. Sometimes they say them and they don't write them. But then sometimes they do them and they don't say them. And they don't write them either. So, this time when I was in Korea, I remember standing in the church. I had the privilege of also preaching there. But I remember after church, standing there, I suddenly realized one of the greatest secrets of church growth, which Pastor Cho practices ardently. Do you understand when I say ardently? Fervently. Passionately. So, I learned a great secret. But as I stood there marveling at this great secret that I was receiving and learning, I realized that, this man never talks about it, never says it, but does it 
and spends a lot of money doing what I'm talking about. Never, men- not even a mention, ever, anywhere. And he spends a lot of money doing that particular thing, but not a mention, not a word. So you, you realize that you are learning what the person does and then what the person teaches. And you sometimes find out that what the person does, he doesn't even teach. And that is why sometimes when you go to someone and you, you find out, you know, like you want to go to find the blessings in a ministry. Sometimes you watch some pastors, they come around, you know, um, casually and, you know, want to learn or want to, so then they just analyze, so this is what he does. He teaches loyalty. He has a book, certain book, loyalty. He teaches 39 symptoms and 24 steps and 12, whatever. And then you go away, but you probably find out that the key or the basis or the secret behind the thing is not even written. Because you see, sometimes what you are doing that is making things work, you don't even know yourself that that's what you are doing. (laughs) Amen. Because if you knew, sometimes you would have written the book before you did it. Are you listening to me? So ladies and gentlemen... It is important for us to study and learn the things that Jesus Christ did. And that is why this verse says, O Theophilus, the former treatise I have made, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so there is a lot we can learn by looking at what Jesus did. Can I have an amen? Amen. And Jesus Christ is the best teacher of his own religion. Write it down if you've not written it down somewhere. Jesus Christ is the best teacher of his own religion. And Paul the apostle stated, said clearly, that there is no other foundation that can be laid than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. We must study Jesus Christ and we must be filled with the fullness of Christ. God is trying to build us up and apostles, pastors, and teachers are there to feed us until we grow up to the measure of the stature or the height of Christ. That is the aim of a pastor. Amen. He says he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, till we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge, and we, we, we get the knowledge of the Son of God. Amen. Hallelujah. God wants us to gain knowledge of the Son of God. And so pastors are supposed to and apostles and preachers are supposed to teach people the knowledge of the Son of God. And the knowledge of the Son of God is the knowledge of, of himself, what he did and what he taught. Amen. Are you listening to me? Yeah, there are things that Jesus did that he didn't. In fact, he stopped preaching at a point and just walked to Jerusalem. And spent a week there and ended his ministry. He arrived on Sunday. Triumphant entry. Between Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. He went to the temple. And that's where you have the most scathing rebukes. And uh, 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 yes, rebukes that he gave to uh, to the Pharisees. In Matthew 21, 22 and 23. And where he he rebuked rebuked them and corrected them in public. You know, and all the feelings that he had felt in them for all those three years that he had been ministering, he unleashed on them for those last few days and hours. And then on Thursday, they came for him. You get it. And then by Sunday, he had risen from the dead and his ministry was over. That was the last phase of his ministry, one week. His last phase of his ministry lasted for one week and it was spent in Jerusalem. His first phase of his ministry was in Bethlehem, his birth. His birth changed the whole world. We mark it every year, the whole world. We all mark it, even unbelievers. And that was Bethlehem. And the second phase of his ministry was spent in Nazareth. 
the third phase in Galilee, and the last phase in Jerusalem for one week. Amen. So you find out that uh, Jesus Christ stopped preaching and did something. He went and sacrificed. Sometimes we ought to stop preaching and sacrifice. Amen. Sometimes we ought to stop talking and just pay the price. I said sometimes we ought to stop talking and just pay price, the price that has to be paid. And everything will change. Jesus stopped preaching. I've preached enough. He could have gone to Morocco to preach. He could have gone to Algeria. He could have moved on to Egypt. He could have gone elsewhere, but he just stopped and paid the price. That is what we lack often. Things that we ought to do. Not even things we ought to say, teach, talk about, but do. And that's what the Bible said. What Jesus began to do and to teach. Amen. And so pastors and evangelists and prophets are supposed to bring the people to the knowledge of the Son of God. Unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are supposed to preach to people until they grow to the point where they are so perfect of, to the stature or the height or the size and length and breadth of Christ. You know, Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said, Oh foolish Galatians! Whom I labor until Christ be formed in you. God's aim for us is for Jesus Christ to be formed in us. His character, his humility, his love, his patience, his character. The Bible says, wherefore are given unto us great and precious promises. That by these we might be partakers of the divine nature. The nature, the character. We are supposed to receive the promise of God not to be partakers of the wealth of the wicked per se or of the monies in the world. These are not what the Bible says. But until we are partakers of the divine nature, the nature of love, the nature of patience, the nature of goodness, gentleness, and humility, these are the things that God is trying to give to us. I'm preaching whether you like it or not. Amen. So, he said that we will henceforth be no more children. And you will find, you know, that um, the more people mature in Christ, you know, the less they talk about power and the more they talk about their nature. Because the more mature you are, the more you realize what Christ was trying to do in you. I have been privileged to meet some of the great men of God, you know. And when you listen to them talking, like Billy Graham was asked, what, what would you like to do again differently if you had a chance? He said, oh, I'd like to spend more time with my family. You would have thought that he said he would like to win more souls and like have more crusades or preach better or pray more. He said, contrary to what you may have thought, that I'd like to spend more time with my family. Uh, Kenneth Hagin, at his funeral... You know, you'll find what people began to speak about and say about him and testify about him was that he was a man of love. Not so much of a man of faith, but more of a man of love. Because, you see, when we climb the mountain of God, you see that scripture in um, 2 Peter, it says, and giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. You know, we must add things to our Christian faith. So our faith, we just Christian, but there's nothing added to our Christianity. And we are supposed to add to the faith. And what are you supposed to add to the faith? Virtue, knowledge, gentleness, temperance, patience, and so on. And the last thing, and to this, love. Love is the last one and the highest. That's what God is trying to do with us. You'll find out at his funeral. If you ever have a chance, I'll show you a bit of his funeral. You'll find people saying he will never say anything bad about anyone. You couldn't get him to talk. If he came into a room and they were talking about somebody in a bad way, he would excuse himself. He would just find a way of changing the topic. That's what they said about him. You find humility. I had the privilege of meeting with T.L. Osborne a few weeks ago. And as I sat at lunch with him and I asked him a question, he didn't even understand or hear what I asked him. He thought I was asking him something, but it doesn't really matter. And when I asked him, he just said something. You know, he, he, made, a, he made a remark. He said, no, that's not whatever. You, know, you should do this and that. And he said it in a way. And I remember after the dinner or the lunch or whatever it was, as I was getting up to go, he called me and he said, listen, he hopes that 
what he said did not come across as he was a smart person or he was a very... But I said, oh no. You know, he was apologizing to an 81-year-old man. Look at me, as little boy. He was, he, was, he was concerned that he maybe he had said something to offend me. Who am I? You see, that's a grown-up mature. But you and a lot of us, we, we, don't, we still don't even care who we are, whom we have offended or if what we are saying offends or hurts anybody. We don't mind becoming a stone upon which people will stumble and fall. <laughs> I tell you, and Jesus Christ, you see, the knowledge of Jesus and the knowledge of the Son of God is one of the highest. And this is what we must learn. We must learn. We must study Christ. Christ. We must study Jesus. So to the knowledge of the Son of God. You remember that scripture in Second Peter chapter 1? It said, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of his Son. Through the knowledge of God and of Christ, all of his son. Not just the knowledge of God, but the knowledge of God and the knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. You gain grace and peace by knowing about Jesus Christ. When I was preaching at Easter time about Tetelestai, about what he said and the things that Jesus said, we were looking at Jesus Christ. That is what we are doing. We are gaining a knowledge of the son of God. That is what is going to help you. That is what we need. Hallelujah. That is what's going to take us forward in the Lord. That's what's going to bless us. That's what's going to give us maturity. So that if one day there are some promotion or there's some blessing or some whatever comes our way, we will have the maturity and the love and the Christ-like character to handle blessings. I remember one rich man came to Jesus. And the rich man said, you know, what must I do to be saved? What can I do to join? And Jesus said, obey God, humble your, honor your father, your mother, don't convert. The man said, I've done all those. As soon as he said, I've done all those things, a pastor of today would have called Peter, told the man, you wait, would have called Peter and said, listen, Peter, you know, we need a lot of money for the ministry. You know, this is a rich man. Originally, I told you that would be only 12 of you, but I think we need 13. This guy can be the 13th apostle and this guy can really help us to do well and to move ahead you see then he'll quote from me clear you see money answers all things peter have you seen that verse before money answers all things and uh, peter you see uh, we need wisdom apart from power okay so this is the wisdom of god to include such people in the team of god's anointed apostles we know he's not anointed but as we move along through the wisdom and his finances, we will be able to get far in the things of God. Lift up your hand, Peter, and shout, yeah. And you see them, they'll be lifting up their hand. But not so with Jesus. Jesus said, okay, go and sell everything, all your money, and give it to the poor, and be a uselessly poor person, and come and join me as a poor man, not as a rich man. Join me as a poor man. Join me as a pauper. Join me as a nobody. Join me as someone who has nothing. Come and follow me. That was Jesus. You see, that is something he did. He didn't teach it. Yeah. That's something he did. Oh yeah. He didn't teach it. He did it. How he related with rich people. I'm soon going to be teaching on what Jesus, what Jesus said about rich people. And you see that even if he didn't say anything, what he did is amazing. Most of us wouldn't have done that. Including myself. I would have been extra polite. I would have brought my polite voice. Everybody has a polite voice. Is that not so? Everybody has a polite voice. You know, when you ring somebody over the phone and the person doesn't know who it is. Huh? Hello? Who? What? Oh, Bishop. Hello. How are you? You know? We all have a polite voice and we have a real voice. Lift up your hand and shout, yeah. yeah. I would have brought out my polite voice. I would have been very nice and so on. Because he's a rich person. He's an important person. But the Bible says, oh Theophilus, I wrote to you and showed you all the things that Jesus began to do and began to teach. So that you will learn from what he did as well as what he taught. 
You see how he related to politicians. I'm not talking about any pastor in this town. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. The master, how he related to politicians. And what he said to them. And what he said about them. And how he had, whether, what time he had for them. But the average pastor is proud to have a picture with as many presidents and as many prime ministers as possible. But not so with Jesus. He had no picture with Pontius Pilate. He had no photograph with uh, Herod, King Herod the King. He had no picture with any of these people. He said, go tell that fox. That is what the master says. This is what Jesus began to do. <laughs> Look, I don't think that the Bible should sound strange in the church. The Bible should not be strange in the church. When I preach what's in the Bible, I shouldn't feel afraid in the church. That what I am saying is not correct or is unusual or is frightening or is strange in the church. And I'm talking about the Son of God. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. We can learn a lot from Jesus. I'm telling you, by just looking at him, what did he do in this situation? Many times Jesus was asked for things. He said, will you come? He said, yes. Many of us say no. Hmm. Yeah. But you see, ladies and gentlemen, there are many things that we can learn from what Jesus did. What Jesus began to do. He kept in touch with his boss all the time. Oh yeah. Many things he began to do. Watch him. He said, I will not do anything, not even one, if I don't see my father doing. No. And he would only do, and occasionally he explained what he was doing. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, there is much that we can learn by studying Christ Jesus. And I believe many blessings will come into our lives. Amen. I want to read to you a little passage from a book and uh, the first lesson that i want to give to us but just briefly and um, we'll be closing but just briefly as a starter is um, to tell you that christ jesus was a student of the scripture now i don't know but maybe somebody can correct me but i don't remember anywhere where jesus taught to study the word is there any, if you can help me, I'm, I may be wrong, but I've been racking my brains. Yeah, where he, where he taught his disciples to, you know, to study the word. I mean, we are thinking. Maybe by next week you can find somewhere, but honestly, something as important, Huh? Yeah, something as important as that, you would wonder that Jesus Christ would take time to give a long lesson on the word of God and the importance of the word of God. But you can see from his own life that he was a student of the Bible. Amen. It is pathetic, I'm quoting, to think that Jesus never possessed a Bible of his own. But there can be no doubt of the fact that he didn't possess a Bible. Jesus didn't possess a Bible. The expense of such a possession in those days was utterly beyond the means of one in his condition. <laughs> yeah. It would be very expensive for somebody in his state to have a Bible. And besides, the bulkiness of the rolls on which it was written would have prevented it from being portable even if he could have possessed it. Because it was several, so many, you know, when did they invent paper? They had these scrolls and books. Now, Possibly, in his home, 
There may have been a few of the precious rolls containing the Psalms or other favorite portions of the Holy Writ. But it must have been by frequenting the synagogue and obtaining access to the books lying there, perhaps through ingratiating himself with their keeper, as an enthusiastic musician may do with the organist of a church, in order to be permitted to use the instrument. Do you understand what, what the man is saying? It's like somebody who really wants to play, he makes a friend with the organist or the keeper, so that he can have access to play. Are you listening? That is the way he was able to quench his thirst for sacred knowledge. Today we can procure the holy book for next to nothing. And every child possesses a copy. May its cheapness and universal currency never make it in our eyes a common thing. The universal availability of the Bible makes it so common that we don't even read it today. Of course, listen, this is interesting. Of course, it is interesting for Christians. If they are not a Christian, you will not be interested in what I'm saying. And I'm preaching to believers. All right. He said, of course, it was only the Old Testament that Jesus had to read. It may be worthwhile to recall this as a reminder of how much more reason we have to love and treasure our larger Bible. When I read in the Psalms such outbursts of affection for the word of God as these. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my study all the day. How sweet are thy words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. More to be desired than gold. I say when I read such outbursts of holy feeling and recollect that they came from the lips of men who possessed only the Old Testament and perhaps only a fragment of it. Men in whose Bible there were no Gospels, no epistles of Paul, no revelation, who had never read the Sermon on the Mount or the prodigal son or the 17th of John or the 8th of Romans or the 13th of 1 Corinthians or the 11th of Hebrews. I ask what my feelings are towards the much larger Bible that I possess. People who had fragments of the Bible were so enthralled by what they had. And we have everything printed and written before us. And yet we are not even interested often. And I say to myself hmm, that surely in modern times, this book was written more than 100 years ago. The heart of man has become ossified. To be ossified means to be turned into bone. Ossification centers are the centers where bones are formed. When you say it's ossified, it means that turned into a solid bone. It says our heart, the heart of man has become ossified. And the fountains of gratitude have dried up. And the fires of admiration and enthusiasm have been put out. So tame. In comparison, is our affection for the far more perfect book. There is the most indubitable evidence that Jesus was an assiduous student of the word of God. This is furnished not by repeated statements to this effect, but by proofs far more impressive. You see, his recorded sayings abound with quotations from it. Amen. If his quotations are examined, it will be found that they are derived from every part of the book, showing his acquaintance not only with its prominent features, but with its obscurest corners. Most of us, we know only the prominent features. John 3, 16. Psalm 23, Psalm 91. But Jesus knew the most obscure corners of the word of God. Lift your hand and say, I love my Jesus. How many are learning about the Son of God? You see, we are studying what Jesus did and what he taught. Hallelujah. He said, so that we ourselves need not travel anywhere among the Old Testament writings without the assurance that his blessed feet have been there before us. We know that Jesus has read it before we got there. There are even texts which... We may, without irreverence, call his favorites. Because he quoted them again and again. And there are books of scripture. Which seem to have been specially dear to him. 
Deuteronomy, the Psalms, and Isaiah being the chief. These are the most favorite books of Jesus. What are your favorite? Do you have any favorite books? Do you understand my question? Do you have any favorite books in the Bible? I know you have your favorite newspaper, whether it's chronicle or graphic or, or your favorite story book. But what is your favorite book in the Bible? Is it Ephesians? Is it John? Is it Matthew? Is it Revelations? What is your favorite? Or oh, you don't have any favorite book. You see, Jesus seemed to have favorite books from his quotations. Hallelujah. Now, there are three, we don't have the time for the three, but I'm just going to read one. There are three prominent uses to which we find Jesus putting the Bible. And these are very important for our imitation. I'm quoting. The first use is we find him making the word of God as a defense against temptation. When the wicked one came to him and tempted him in the wilderness, he answered every suggestion with it is written. The word was in his hands, the sword of the spirit, and he turned with its edge the onsets of the enemy. Are you listening? When Jesus was confronted with temptations, he would say, it is written. It is time for us to be able to say, when you are doing something, the reason is because it is written. The word of God says this here. That is why I'm doing this or that. Otherwise, I question your Christianity. Amen. That must be the reason. Not that my pastor says, my bishop says, in my church we do this. You see over here in Lighthouse, we do this. What is that? Let us begin to have this word. You know, I was telling somebody, look, pastors make mistakes. I was talking to a, a, a faith preacher. This is one of the most luxurious, voluptuous preachers of prosperity ever. And as I listened to this man, he had changed his mind on prosperity preaching. He's one of the richest successful pastors you could ever find anywhere is from the highest order of the so-called faith and prosperity preachers and as he sat with me and he was talking about himself you say you have what thousand dollar what then he put his hand in his mouth and said <laughs> he said it's rubbish <laughs> do you understand what that means it's like rubbish, nonsense. Shelly. I tell you, I was surprised as I listened to this. I said, he said, what are these? You were here when pastor, we had our own pastor Bassett who ordained me the ministry. One of the highest kinds of prosperity preachers ever in the world. This is a man, you see, when he's walking in his shoes, you will know which animal he's, he's walking in. Because the shoe is a particular animal. <laughs> when, he's, when, he's, when he's driving a car, you'll know which kind of car it is and which kind of house and so on. Today, he talks about all those things and he says, look, the true treasures, the riches of Christ, these are what we must look for. And he goes here and he preaches. That's why I would even mention his name. You see, we must not be low in our maturity where all that we can say is my bishop says my pastor says you see in lighthouse you see lighthouse we we say we, we believe in anakazo we say we we are biazo that's a we uh, uh, what, what, what are these <laughs> it is written this is what the word of god says that's what the bible says it is written because you are going to find out that Although we are holding the word of God and we are wielding it, we ourselves as pastors, we are not perfect. And we make many mistakes. God is allowing us with our mistakes to preach. That's it. He's allowing us to preach with our mistakes. So you too, you know, one time somebody was preaching, said Paul and his wife Silas were going somewhere and they were preaching and so on. And you know, as, as he was preaching, 
the anointing was flowing the power was there Paul and his wife Silas <laughs> so are you listening to me tonight the word of God is something we must know why are you doing what you are doing you must do it because it is written because the word of God says this and the word of God says that and my Bible says this and you must be able to hold your Bible and say this is my Bible this is what I believe in my word in my Bible amen amen that is the word of God and if it's the word of God all of us must turn to the word of God and when we are tested and when we are tempted and when we are under pressure that is when to bring the word it's easy to shout hallelujah and lift your bible in church but it is when we are under pressure people christians say put the bible aside this is not a matter of bible or whatever let me tell you something do you know when i was born do you know my father do you know who i am you know that is not when you are supposed to that is when you are supposed to go by it is written I said it's written so you see Jesus using the I'm saying we are studying what Jesus began to do he used the word of God as a defense in time of testing temptation with the devil and then number two with people when he was tested with people with people he used the scripture in Matthew 21 22 23 he opened the scriptures when they tested him they said what is the first commandment uh, is, uh, is it right to be resurrection do we believe in resurrection from the dead he used the scripture he said that God is the God of Isaac Abraham and Jacob and he's a God of the living and not of the dead so that means that these people are alive and he used the scripture over and over to refute their arguments in like manner he defended himself with it against the assaults of wicked men when they lay in wait for him and tried to entangle him in his talk he foiled them with the word of god especially on that great day of controversy immediately before his end in matthew 22 when all his enemies set upon him and the champions of the different parties did their utmost to confuse and confute him he repelled their attacks one after another with answers drawn from the scriptures and at last he silenced them and put them to shame in the eyes of the people by showing their ignorance of the scriptures of which they were the chosen interpreters it's marvelous that's what jesus began to do when he was being questioned why are you doing this why are you doing this what are you doing what are you doing you see that's why some of us can't work for god because the word of god does is not what moves you what people think is what moves you yeah, that's why some of us can't pay tithes because it's not the word of God that moves us it's pressure and situations that move us and if we were in certain circumstances we wouldn't preach the word of God I tell you there are times that I have preached uh, in the kind of people that are there you know you would have thought I remember one time I was preaching in a church with a lot of millionaires dollar millionaires you know, sometimes if you listen to me preaching, you may get the wrong impression that I'm against riches or I'm against... I'm not against riches. We need riches. But we need to understand it from the Bible point of view. We need prosperity. And we are prosperous. We are not against it. But we need to understand it. And we need to not let prosperity guide us. But we need to be led by the Spirit of God. So I tell you, I preached when I saw the millionaire. You know, millionaires. When I talk about millionaires, I mean people who give a million dollars. In fact, one of the days I was walking by, somebody said to me, you see this man standing there in the polo shirt over there? Last month, he gave the pastor $1 million. Huh? Really? They are all sitting in the church. Millionaires. But when it was time to preach, I remember one of my pastors came to me and said he was, he was wondering what I was going to preach about in this church. But I took my Bible and I preached what I preach. I preach that we've got to bear fruit and that we've got to work for God. And I talk about the rich man who went to hell. And that when the rich man went to hell, he was now calling for evangelists to be sent to his, 
his brothers in the house. And I said, if any of the rich men here were to die and go to hell and come back, their attitude would change. They will be calling the pastor and say, Pastor, tell the truth. Speak to the people that there is hell. All these other things are not necessary. And as I preached, I knew to myself, you know, maybe <laughs> this is going to be the last. I mean, if I, when I was preaching, I first said, maybe this is the last time I'm preaching. But I don't really care. I don't care whether it's the last time I'm preaching here or not. Would you believe that after the church service, there's a particular man, a multi, one of the richest multi-millionaires. He came up, he, he went to several people, including the pastor, and told the pastor that this is the best message I have ever heard in this church. Listen, listen, no, no, no. He told the pastor, including your messages, this is the best message that I've ever heard in this church. <laughs> I tell you, in fact, the guy, the guy almost began to put me in trouble. He went to the pastor's wife. He went to other people. He went to the other party. He said, listen, and this guy saw this one. He's a multi, he's one of the, one of the pastors was telling me, he said, this guy is one of the super rich. They have rich and then we have super rich. (laughs) Oh yeah. And he began to tell. So I heard it from about four or five different sources until finally the pastor told me. He said, you know, there's this guy who came to me, who called me and said to me, this is the best message I have ever heard, pastor, including your messages in this church. God have mercy. So, I, and I asked for me, I said, well, and you see, such a, I don't know what kind of reaction these are. But you see, what I, what I want to say is that we need to not be afraid to stand on the word. You see, the word is what must guide. You know what people think? Would they like me? You know, they say, do you like me? Do you want me? Will you, will you ask me to come here again? Do you, do you like how I am? Do you? No. What does he say? What is written? This is what is written. And Jesus was killed. Because of that. You know? Are you ready to die? Because of that. Some of us would lose our, our so-called boyfriends and marriages. If we were to say, it is written. It is written. I'm not supposed to do that. What? What are, what are you saying? <laughs> it is written. It is written. <laughs> You say, you say what is written? Since when was it written? At written at where? Written at where is it written? <laughs> All right. So listen, I'm I'm continuing to quote. I'm quoting from Mr. Stalker's book on the life of Jesus Christ. He says, He repelled their attacks one after another with answers drawn from the scriptures and at last he silenced them and put them to shame in the eyes of the people by showing their ignorance of the scriptures of which they were the chosen interpreters but listen to this and i'm going to be closing with this he said there was yet another enemy you see and i'm talking about when we when we now get under pressure huh? when the devil is peppering you and firing you. And it looks like you're about to lose something. Listen to Jesus. When he met with the last enemy, death. When the terrors of death were closing around him. Like a dark multitude pressing in upon a solitary man. He had recourse to his old and tried weapon. The Bible. Two, at least, if not more, of his seven last words. From the cross were verses from his favorite book of Psalms. One of them, his very last word. And with it, he plucked his soul out of the jaws of death. Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. What's a quotation? Psalm 22, verse 1 was, My father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, when he was being pressed... What came out of him? Scriptures. When he was being pressed, 
What came out of him? Scriptures. When he was under pressure, when he was now feeling, I'm emotionally, listen, some people, they say, I'm emotionally what? You're emotionally what? So emotionally what? When Jesus was emotionally pressed, what came out of him? Scriptures. On that cross, seven out of the last two were, and probably the others were domestic issues. Uh, sir, uh, John, this is behold thy mother, and uh, behold thy son. These are there, I'm test, I test, and then into thy hands. The last word, the last, with which he plucked his soul out of the jaws of death, and out of the hands of the enemy, was a quotation. My Jesus, the Son of God, the one we are following, the one we are learning from. What he began to do. He didn't teach it. He never said when you're under pressure, quote the scripture. But what he did when he was under pressure is what we must learn. And what we must do. What Jesus began to do. Open your eyes to Jesus. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and through the knowledge of his son Jesus Christ. May his grace multiply to your life. May we know the scriptures. And be able to say it is written. So that you can tell you can tell your husband it is written. And your husband can tell you it is written. Not that when it comes to that and it comes to marriage, you say, look, this is not a matter of whatever the Bible says or what the pastor says. Let me tell you something, okay? You better be careful. Watch out. You see, because my my background is I'm a I'm a gangster, I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a, I'm a, I'm a killer. No. No, it is written. It is written. This is what the word says. My sister, what will you do when you are being pressed? One lady, she said, I'm going to leave you. I'm leaving my husband. Pastors talked to her. Why? No. Children talked to her. No. What do you do? Be like Jesus. How many are going to be like Jesus? I want to be like Jesus. I want to, there's a song we used to sing. I want to be more. Oh, what a song. I don't think we've ever understood that song. I'll read it. It says two at least, if not more of his seven last words from the cross were verses out of his favorite book of Psalms. One of them, his very last word. And with it, he plucked his soul out of the jaws of death. Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. In every case I have mentioned, Jesus was able to recur to the contents of memory of stored text of scripture. And find at once the necessary weapon for the occasion. Often when temptations come, there is no time to set for the word. Everything depends on being already armed with a sword in hand. This is shows why it is necessary to fill the memory while it is plastic with source stores of texts. We do not know what use we may get of them in future days of trial and weakness. Stand to your feet. What Jesus began to do. Jesus, you're the sweetest name of all. Oh, Jesus, you lift me up each time I call. Oh, Jesus, you always hear me when I call. You're the sweetest. The sweetest name of all. Oh, oh Jesus. Jesus. You're the sweetest name. You're the sweetest name of all. Oh, Jesus. You always hear me when I call. Oh, Jesus. You lift me up each time I fall. You lift me the sweetest
us till the first. The first, the last, the same. You died and took away. You're the sweetest. Sweetest name of all. Sweetest name, oh, you always hear me, hear me when I call. You lift me up each time I fall. You are the sweetest name, Jesus. You are the sweetest name. Lift your hand and just worship Jesus. Thank you. Just lift your hand and worship Jesus. What a savior. What an example. What a friend we have. What an example we have in Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, Lord, to me. Jesus, Jesus, Lord to me. Jesus, Jesus, Lord to me. Master, Savior. Sing it again, everybody. Lift your hand. Jesus, Jesus, Lord to me. Jesus, Jesus, Lord to me. Master, You're my Prince of Peace. Ruler. Ruler. 
Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for your example, Lord. As we follow you, Lord, we walk. Help us to walk after your ways. We honor you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. As every head is bowed and every eye closed for a moment, I want to give your life to Jesus. Pastor, pray with me. Pray for me. I want to be born again. Somebody invited you to church, but you are not a born again Christian. Please pray for me, Pastor. Help me. Help me. I don't want to go to hell. If you are here like that, just lift your right hand up high. Just your right hand. As we close this service, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Jesus wants to save you today. If you've lifted your hand, come to the front. Come to me right here. Come from wherever you are. To me. Master Savior. Master your hands. I'm going to pray with you. Just lift your hands, close your eyes, and say this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. Tonight, is my night. tonight is my night. I receive Jesus, I receive Jesus. As, my savior. as my Savior. Please forgive me. Please forgive because, me. Tonight, because tonight, I humble myself. I humbled myself. And I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Come into my heart. Lord Jesus, please write my name in the book of life. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing, your presence. Save my soul, Lord Jesus. From tonight, I belong to you. Jesus, I will serve you and I will follow you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Give the Lord a mighty clap offering and a shout of praise. Woo! Shout Jesus. Jesus. Shout Jesus. 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 How many love Jesus? How many know that Jesus is our Savior? How many know that he died for you and me? You know what Jesus said? He said, whosoever has seen me has seen the Father. When you see Jesus, you are seeing God. You are seeing the Father. One day his disciples said, show us the Father. He said, have you been so long with me and you are asking me to show, show you the Father? Whosoever has seen me has seen the Father. Once you, so once you look closely at Jesus, you will see God. And God's nature will begin to come. How many are going to be more like Jesus? The book we were reading was suggesting that Jesus didn't have a Bible. Because someone in his condition will not be able to have a Bible. And it will be too big and bulky. And look at what he was able to do. And say, how much more you and I. We have them at home. Huh? When we are under pressure, we start to quote my grandmother, my mother. You start to quote proverbs from other ancient proverbs, Nigerian proverbs, Ghanaian proverbs. Have you seen some people they like quoting proverbs? They'll tell you a proverb. You say you never hear a crab coughing unless you go near the river. Then you see that the crab is coughing. And other proverbs, hey! <laughs> but no scriptures. No scriptures. May we begin to walk in the scriptures. I see you becoming a student of the Bible. God bless you. You may be seated. God bless you for listening to this message. Visit www. 
daghewardmills.org today for more audio and video messages, information on upcoming events, and so much more. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast to receive new messages every single day. And remember, God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind.